Dark save for light being cast from the big TV screen and the imminent sunrise that's teasing the one starry sky with whispers of morning. Hey, look, it's Aaron. Hey, I'm back, baby. Hey, um, <laughs> how's it going? It's good. It's uh, it's like a Kirby kind of day. It was a Kirby kind of day. The cherry blossoms are blooming here. <gasps> That's when I right. had to go buy headphones, I walked by a whole row of beautiful pink puffy trees, and then oh. I sat down and continued playing with the pink puffy character. <laughs> <laughs> so it was a very themed day, actually. <laughs> so I was thinking, um, this is actually the third Kirby game as of the time of this recording uh, mm-hmm. that Nostalgia Goggles has done, and uh, we're going like in a super non expected way right because the first one we did was the og on the game boy right uh and then we just completely sidestepped all of the console <laughs> advances and went to kirby's dream course which is like right. an insane sports game <laughs> that's right and now we're just back to the n64 <laughs> yeah just like hey oh hey what's happened in the last 15 years with kirby <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, I think one of the things Nintendo does, I mean, video games do in general, but Nintendo does in particular is sidestep into insanity with all of their (laughs) games. So I think it's fair and appropriate that for a major Nintendo flagpole or tentpole, whatever it is, tentpole, thank you, (laughs) tentpole, shut up, Um, (laughs) you, you guys would play the original game, the hip 3D remake, and the who even came up with this why is mario golf even a thing version of kirby yeah no that that's fair and also uh as as i like to always remind myself uh at this point in history um kirby was still owned by hal hal laboratories right which was Mm -hmm. not yet i think even at this point a part of nintendo because this was 2000 right i think right right on the money um how laboratories like has a company ever so desperately wanted to be acquired as how <laughs> it's like they sat down and they said, what if we behave exactly like Nintendo and make games that Nintendo directors will be mad they didn't come up with. And then eventually they'll acquire us. Like it's what every modern San Francisco startup is trying to do, except <laughs> all along the way they were still useful. Like they gave us all these beautiful Kirby games and probably other stuff, but they gave us Kirby games and then they got, you know, subsumed into the the machine. Well, and I didn't even realize how much of an impact how laboratories had on my childhood until, cause you know, I, I don't play my N64 super often. So the last time I played it was playing Pokemon Snap for Nostalgia Goggles. So I put that in. And you also talked about Hell Laboratories. And I put this in and was like, okay, Nintendo, Hell Laboratories, we meet again. Interesting. Yeah. They even have, like, when you think of Kirby, you know, fluffy, pink, friendly, even Hell Laboratories logo is a dog in, like, a nest with, like, (laughs) puppies. Yeah. Yeah, So it's like, before you even get into the game, you're like, I, I'm down for some cuteness. Like this, that's that's what's about to happen to me. Oh yes, but I, I definitely feel like Hal Laboratories. 
like I need to go and look up what other games they've made. Like this is almost a like Don Bluth company situation where I'm like, <laughs> oh, yes, Anastasia, the other Disney princess. Oh, that had nothing to do with this. Wait, what about Thumbelina? No. Nope. How, how much of my childhood was a lie? How much of it was a lie? How laboratories? You weren't Nintendo yet. How much of this is a lie? Yeah, I wonder if those animation companies were also hoping to be acquired by Disney. <laughs> like, I'm pretty sure if I remember correctly, it was the exact opposite. Oh, didn't they, Don Bluth they like flip like, them the double bird and like run away to do their own thing and it didn't quite pan out for them? Ooh, you might be. That feels more likely because <laughs> anyone who knows Disney well enough to even attempt to compete with them has probably decided they don't like the machine and are trying to war against it. Whereas I get the impression from Nintendo that they are as pink and fluffy on the inside as they are on the outside. Like, I don't think anyone goes to work for Nintendo and then is like, Oh, I thought they were all about games, but it turned out they're jerks. Like, <laughs> I, I just, I don't think that that happens. I don't know that for a fact, but I haven't dug too deep into it. Maybe because I'm tired of all of my childhood heroes <laughs> letting me down. So I'm just, I'm just going to back away slowly from that. And, and not think about it too hard. No, here, here's this is the last uh, total. I get. Does this count as a tangent if the entire opening of the episode is just this? So you guys, uh, your entire Tetris episode had like nothing to do with Tetris. So like, just keep going. I guess. Yeah. No, there you go. See, see, this is why you can sub in because you're on point, which is being off point. So uh, <laughs> all you need to all you need to know about uh, the Nintendo leadership is uh, when the original Pokemon was being written for the Game Boy, um, mm -hmm. the battle engine was just fundamentally broken from like a programming standpoint. It just it didn't. The rules made sense, but like none of the code worked. Uh, so I think it. It must have been Satoru Iwata, I guess. I'm maybe confusing him with other legendary leadership from Nintendo, but I think it was Iwata literally uh, sat down and was like, well, I'll just rewrite the entire game engine myself this weekend <laughs> so that we can ship this game. So, like, there are lots of stories from Nintendo's history that are like that, and that's not hyperbole. Like the game was the original game was literally made by like twenty people, and like the president of the company was one of them. So that's well, that's the kind of company you're going into. I'm I'm gonna call that pink and fluffy. This is true. I will uh, not to be contrarian, but I feel like a lot of times I just am contrarian for the sake of being contrarian. Um, sorry, hashtag not sorry. Uh, I do feel like, though, that that's a difference between old school gaming and modern gaming because like Pokemon we think of now is this huge epic franchise. But back in the day, the amount of space that they had to work with, the amount of teams that they had, the like where video gaming was as a as a medium, like as a new medium it was just a bunch of guys like in a, you know, room putting together games. Like now you can't do that because AAA games have the same budgets as small nations GDPs. <laughs> um, <Sometimes laughs> I don't more. even, I don't even, I don't even know how many people and dollars it took to make the new Pokemon games. But I do think that's a reflection of the times in addition to the way that Nintendo tends to do things. I, I will agree that the, the specific instance of like, oh, I'll just roll my chair to the other side of the room and help out with the thing you're working on. That probably can't happen as much literally, mm -hmm. but I think the spirit of like, mm -hmm. oh, this guy used to work in the art department and now he works in the music department. 
he's done with his work or he has some downtime. So he's going to go help out in art, right? Or like, mm-hmm. oh, th- this person who, you know, this lady who used to design, uh, you know, sound effects, she's got some spare time. So she's going to do some QA playtesting, right? So like, I-, I can just imagine this culture of like, we just want to make fun games. Like, even though the machine is way bigger than it used to be, mm-hmm. I-, I don't know. And And I'm with you that I just, if I'm wrong, if anybody knows for sure that Nintendo is like this evil corporate conglomerate, just go to hell. Don't tell me. I don't want to know about it. Like, just let me live in ignorance. <laughs> It's like every time I tell someone I like Disney World or that I used to go to – or not even that I like it, that I used to go as a kid and they're like, well, don't you know that Disney did this? And I'm like, listen, you're not wrong. I get it. Corporate culture, sure. Just let me have some happy childhood memories, please. This is all I have left, okay? Well, and and those people, that's always projection, right? Because (laughs) there's no way that person, like, doesn't ever eat junk food or drink alcohol, right? It's like – Oh, like, oh, don't you know that Coca-Cola is really bad? For, sorry, Coke. Don't you know that soda is really bad well, you for you? you just lost that uh, <laughs> advertising angle. Yeah. Well, That's I mean, I've, I've had my Coke can turned toward the camera for two years until I found out this is just an audio show. And I was like, damn it. <laughs> it's, good po- it's good podcasting right there. <laughs> All right, so let's make sure people know what they actually are like tuned in for here. So, oh sure, okay, yeah, that thing that <laughs> yeah, we're doing. I guess it, it's uh. So we played Kirby sixty four, the Crystal Shards, because mm-hmm. Hal Laboratories was not satisfied just taking the name of the mascot and putting sixty four after it, like <laughs> half of the other games. So, uh, it's it. There's like a story, right? It's the Crystal Shards. Um, Mm -hmm. so I, I was trying to think back to my N64 exposure and I'm pretty convinced I never touched this game even once. Like I knew that it existed, (laughs) but, uh, I'm, I'm in like a lot of N64 era games. I'm in the position where you have played this and I have not, but, Mm -hmm. um, I, I can say, uh, not giving away how I felt about the game overall, uh, that this feels very much like a Kirby game, like the leap from, uh, 2D sprites to 3D polygons, uh, they made it pretty smooth in most respects. Um, so the minute you fire it up, you're like, oh, okay, I'm playing a Kirby game and it's in 3D and the music's a little bit richer and the sound effects are a little richer and everything, but it it still looks and feels and moves and behaves basically like what you would expect. So that actually made it really easy to slot in because I do have a lot of nostalgia for the earlier Kirby games. Mm -hmm. And this feels like a very, very logical continuation. Um, The one thing that I struggled with uh, just in terms of like falling into the Kirby game is um, there's like people on the, the, like the title screen, like on the title card (laughs) who aren't Kirby. Well, who aren't Kirby, but it's like, Join your favorite, you know, Kirby universe characters. There's Kirby and King Dedede and Waddle Dee and Tinkerbell knockoff and <laughs> Painter Kid. Who is this? Like, paint who? What the hell is like? Did we just get him from central casting? Like, why is there Painter Kid? And he doesn't seem to fit the universe like at all. So that that was kind of weird because I was like expecting more explanation of who these non- traditional Kirby characters were but you don't really get it you you definitely don't and I (laughs) I I never really thought about it because Kirby 64 was my entry into the world of Kirby that and like Super Smash Bros um 
ironically, which are two very differently toned (laughs) 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 access points into Kirby. But I never thought about that. Like those are the Kirby characters, even though looking back, I now realize that nope, Pixie, Dream Girl and um, like Painter Chick are just not... They don't exist in any of the other Kirby stuff I've ever played, don't do they? Hmm. No, nope, they just. Whoops. I mean, and and the 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 fairy, her part in the story is at least like somewhat clear, right? But the mm-hmm. uh, the artist kid, I don't I don't know what they were doing there. Okay, can we clear up though, artist kid, boy or girl? Oh no, I would uh, I would venture that uh, that character like a lot of uh characters in these sorts of universes it intentionally has mid-length hair and mm-hmm. is probably being voiced by a Japanese woman which means it could be a little boy it could be a little girl right like they're they're not deciding and if you looked up that character's name it's probably you know pat right something total or chris something that like it could go either way and and this is uh, in my mind, usually a, a wise design choice because this is not a character that is now integral to the franchise. So they just need people to like if you're a little kid and you have a friend who likes to paint, you just sort of need to project that this is like a friendly <laughs> person who's going to like maybe help you a little bit. And if that friend happens to be a girl, then hey, painter person is a girl. If it's boy, then hey, painter person is boy. I took it as just you know, gender non-conforming artist. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. That, I, I always thought of them as a girl, but I mean, I'm yeah. a girl. It feels like a logical leap to make as a young child playing video games, desperate for female characters. But if it was a tall, uh, you know, bearded, curly hair chested right like curly hair on the chest sticking out of the top of the tank top like you would probably not have been like she's just like me hey nobody else can see me right now don't put (laughs) don't don't make that don't put assumptions into their heads about what i look do or do not look like i'm very tall and i'm very proud of my beard yes no your your voice definitely smacks of tall burly chested beard yep that's how we do. So, so what was this? Was your introduction to Kirby? So, what what are your nostalgia goggles for Kirby sixty four? So, and it's funny because I was thinking about this. I'm like, we've I played Pokemon Snap and Kirby. Like, it's a they're very young, very like child focused games. But at the same time, I was I was a child. That's yes. <laughs> that's part of the it, reason why this all worked out. Yeah, we're, it's almost like we're gonna talk for about ninety minutes about your nostalgia experience of. Of this game. Hey. <laughs> um, but yeah, so Kirby was always my 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 I have an older sister and a younger sister, and they were both much bigger Kirby fans than I was, to the point where my older sister actually has uh, a Kirby tattoo. Which, which is, is awesome. awesome. Yes. <laughs> I, I have seen pictures. It is awesome. It is a great I love that tattoo. It's fabulous. But uh so for me, Kirby was kind of one of those like my siblings like it. Therefore, it exists around me. Therefore, I'm going to say I don't like it, but I'm still going to engage in it because it, like, it's present. And the game is a lot of, well, not to tip my hat. As a child, I thought the game was very fun and very approachable and had elements that I that really appealed to me. So it was like a quick, easy, fun thing to pick up and play with my siblings. So I I remember playing it a lot with my siblings. I remember in some ways more watching my sisters play it than 
playing it myself. Mm, yeah. I, uh, I have a few games that being the younger sibling, I'm like, do I remember playing this or do I really just remember watching my brother play this? Because if you do that enough and you're young enough when you're having those experiences, they do kind of get muddy. Well, and they do as as a sibling. So I, for people who don't know me, which is theoretically most of the people listening to this, um, <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know. Hey, uh, yeah. Anyway, um, I have three siblings. I have two sisters and a brother. And even to this day, when we play video games together, like we'll pass the controller around. There's usually a primary player. But I mean, there were some games that we would play where I would play the majority of the game and then would get to a hard boss and would pass the control to my brother or vice versa. Mm. Like my mm -hmm. brother would be playing a game, would get to a point that he couldn't get through and would pass the controller to me. So it's very muddy sometimes in my memory of, did I play this? Did I watch this? Like what exactly my interaction is? Because when there's four of you sitting on a couch together, the controller gets thrown around a lot. And sometimes, <laughs> sometimes it's not so easy to remember who, who was actually holding the controller when the thing happened. <laughs> Yeah, I I believe uh, when we did the Battletoads episode, there was, mm -hmm. while replaying that game, I became increasingly convinced that I never, ever beat that one horrible stage and that I only <laughs> ever got past it because my brother beat it for me. See, I mean, I certainly can't beat it as an adult. <laughs> well, and that's the nostalgia prestige, right? Like, did, <laughs> which knot did you use? I don't know. <laughs> As I know the the turn at the end of the movie is not really that revolutionary, but it's delivered so well because every time I think about dying Hugh Jackman so desperately trying to get Christian Bale to feel as guilty as he feels when he's like, look around, don't you see where we are? And he just goes, I don't care. And then just stands up and walks out. And it's like it just totally sucks the drama out of it. Not like in the, the theatrical sense, but like Hugh Jackman thinks he's about to like bring him down with him. And he's like, nope. <laughs> Peace them out. I'm yeah. Batman. Your problems are your own, old man. <laughs> but anyway, so yeah, um, I this is another one of those games that so I, I have my original Nintendo 64 um, system from when we were kids. It is the original. It still works. It is the only game system, um, I think, other than the NES that my brother has that has survived from childhood, <laughs> from a house with four children and multiple pets that has made it all the way to the to the to 2019. Um, and Kirby impressive. 64, it's it's very impressive. I love that the N64 as a system is that durable. Um, if only all systems were this durable. <laughs> But anyway, and a lot of the games that we had for it got given away over time or got lost or, I mean, I took it to college with me and a lot of stuff disappeared off into the dorms. And, you know, there's only a handful of games that are like original games that I had when I was a kid as well. I'm almost positive Kirby 64 is one of the few. Right. Because you, you've tried to build that collection back up, but they're, mm -hmm. they're pretenders to the throne, right? Kirby <laughs> exactly. 64 is a true heir. Exactly. I The worst case was... um. Majora's Mask and Ocarina of Time. I had mm. to get both of those again, and I was real ashamed about it. And it has been getting increasingly difficult to find N64 games. So the collection, the growth of the collection slowed considerably in the last, like, five years. Well, don't worry. Eventually, Nintendo will be like, oh, hey, for $50, we'll sell you the 20 most popular games on a single Nintendo Switch cart or something. <laughs> We'll just hand you a small box that has 8,000 games on it for yeah. 20 bucks. Pretty much. 
Um, mm-hmm. But we need that 20 bucks. So uh, we, we should talk about the game. Let's talk about the visuals. Yes. Um, I've, I've mentioned this, I think, with every N64 game, but I am consistently impressed by how aware the developers seem to be of how underpowered this system was. <laughs> and... <laughs> A lot of games, you know, Super Mario Brothers, uh, even Smash to some extent, um, they they just rely on like big, bright, solid colors, right? It's mm-hmm. everything's very cartoony. Everything's very uh, the the details are relatively low. And some of the games we've played on the N sixty four use a lot of what I've learned is called billboarding, right? Which is like a fake two D image to make it look three D, but you mm-hmm. just always see it from the front. But you can mm-hmm. once you know that that thing exists the glass is shattered every time right. you see it you're like that's not really 3d whereas like a map painting in movies yes exactly right those aren't real mountains it's <laughs> it's the it's the exact same kind of feeling where you're just like i could tell right the lighting's wrong or whatever it is and uh kirby even more so than the other games i've played so far on the 64 that i've been you know ripping apart really seems to not have tried to push the N64 to do anything it wasn't comfortable doing. Just like, hey man, no. It's you just you just want to make that thing over there like a completely solid color with like a tiny little gradient. That that's fine. It it's fine. It's he's a pink puffball. It doesn't need to look realistic. It's fine. It's an 80s cartoon. The whole game <laughs> looks kind of like an 80s cartoon. Like nothing's ugly, but they did not try to push this graphical hardware at all. So I mostly agree with you, especially in terms of the characters, the enemies, like the things that have to move and that you have to interact with. But some of the backgrounds I was legitimately impressed by, Um, in particular, like in the jungle, there's one section where you're sort of platforming along those suspended logs. And Mm -hmm. I got distracted and actually died because I noticed that there was like (laughs) mist in the background that was like floating around the treetops. And literally stopped because I'd never noticed it before because I've never played the game paying attention to the details and was like, huh, that's that's legitimately good looking. Like that is actually fairly nice. So I think overall the game looks really nice, but I don't think they accomplished that nice look by trying to push the level of graphical detail. There are mm-hmm. lots of thoughtful details Right. But I, I wouldn't say that there's any place where even like in, in a lot of the backgrounds, like they're mostly simple ish shapes. They're mostly simple ish colors. Whereas in um, like a Mario 64 and some of the other games from this era, they took basically JPEGs of textures and mapped them onto 3D surfaces. And then when you see those giant jagged edges, they look really bad. Yes. <laughs> right. And and Kirby just doesn't not anywhere I could think of like they, they just really didn't try to do that. Like mm-hmm. everything is built out of kind of the same tool set. So everything feels really coherent. So when you see like the mist and you see like the mountains off in the background or like the trees or like the, the like bark pattern that's on those those suspended like log platforms, mm-hmm. like because they're all built using the same graphical tools and they're not trying to just push in extra detail on objects or backgrounds where they can like really maybe squeeze a little bit in it. It's simple, but better. Like there it's, it's doing more with less in my mind. Like I would say this game looks better than a lot of N64 games, even though objectively there's less to it. Like it's, Mm -hmm. there's just less going on. 
Yeah, well, I, and I do agree that they they make aesthetic choices that sort of go with the bubblegum, brightly colored, <laughs> 80s yes. cartoon feel of Kirby. Like, it wouldn't make sense to have, like, a Turok dinosaur hunter dinosaur just come emerging <laughs> out of the background of the jungle level, like, and chase Kirby for a while. But it does make sense to have cute little pink pterodactyls, or not pink, purple, purple pterodactyls just flying around and looking all adorable and horrible and i wanted to kill them all but like they are but do they, they go for cartoon. a scale texture nope solid purple no solid purple and like not a toned down purple like it is a <laughs> it is a fake grape flavoring purple <laughs> all the way and that is their right because that that is the world of kirby and that is the aesthetic and the brand that they built around that character so i agree that they don't push the envelope on that but to be fair, I don't know if it's a, a limitation of the N64 at that point, because we are getting towards the later part of the N64 generation. And I think it's more like we don't need a gritty reboot of Kirby with a realistic face and realistic hands coming out of a ball of a person's head. Like, I oh, don't no, I, I don't I ever think, want that. I think they made this an, as an explicit choice, right? They mm-hmm. said, how do we want this game to look? And then they decided to look at whether or not that would tax the hardware. And when the answer was no, they didn't say, oh, so we have leftover processing power. Let's make it look different. They were like, this is how we want the game to look. And the hardware can render it. End of discussion, right? Yeah. If if, if it was the reverse and they were like, we want it to look this way, but the hardware can't render it, then you have to start making trade-offs and try and do tricksy things like billboarding and, and like texture mm. mapping and stuff. And And I get that, but... They said, this is how we want the game to look and feel visually and didn't feel the need to then fill up the rest of the graphics processing power, which, I, like I said, I mean, it, it's, this game is simpler, but I think it looks better. Like, I, mm-hmm. I agree with this this overall design choice. And not every universe would make sense with these kinds of design choices, but the fact that it makes sense here and that they had the restraint to not say like, but we have a few extra CPU cycles. Let's map a JPEG onto this. And it's like, no, it's fine. If it's a solid color, just leave it the hell alone. <laughs> just let the purple pterodactyls be purple. <laughs> damn it. Pretty much. <laughs> no. And I, I, I was thinking about that when it came to um, comparing the gameplay and the cutscenes, which is something I always enjoy doing with video gaming, especially modern video gaming, uh, because there's often a noticeable difference in the quality between <laughs> gameplay footage and cutscene footage. Uh, but with this, they're almost identical. Like looking at the cutscenes, looking at the gameplay, it's about the same. Yeah, the the term for that is in engine. So the mm. the cutscenes are rendered using the same engine that renders the live gameplay. Mm-hmm. And uh, some games like Final Fantasy VII notoriously did not render any of its cutscenes in engine, <laughs> and everything looks as different as it could possibly look from the normal game. And then, uh, like all of the Metal Gear Solid games, uh, historically or not historically, uh, famously, have always rendered their cutscenes in engine. Mm-hmm. And since uh, Hideo Kojima really didn't want to make video games, he wanted to make movies. His cutscenes look amazing, which means the game looks amazing because it's in the same engine because he would not accept like a sudden total graphical difference, right? So mm-hmm. it's not Metal Gear Solid 5 quality graphics, but <laughs> the consistency matters. The fact that those little cutscenes in between the 
planets, levels, stars, stars, stars. <laughs> the fact that the the little cutscenes, because that's the only story in this game, right? Um, mm-hmm. Visually, all or, or all of the story is told visually, and I'm not including words here. There's no written text. There's no spoken dialogue. So None. it's all um, what you call that? Like pantomime? Like it's all visual storytelling, right? Like, I guess. Like we're going over here now. This person's bad. You can tell by my body language. We're angry with them, right? It's all like that kind of storytelling. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the fact that it's consistent from, uh, you know, level to cutscene, it just, it, it matters. Like, I don't know what other way to phrase it. Like it, it matters that I don't feel a total incongruity when that happens. Well, it's like you were saying with Hideo Kojima wanting to make movies, not video games, which means you need to have consistency of the player controlled portion and the non-player controlled portion. It makes the story more accessible i think to the player and it makes it feel like you're interacting with a narrative much more closely so with kirby like the cutscenes are cute and they're fun and then you jump into the game and you feel like you're just picking right up where the cutscenes left off and you even though it is a very fairly bare bones narrative that is told (laughs) entirely in 1920s silent film style (laughs) overacting there you go that's the (laughs) way to describe it there we go. Um, it, it does, you know, make you engage in the story because it does feel like you're just flowing right in and picking right up and going and you're like, yeah, no, we got to get these shards for the thing because yeah. that thing is definitely bad because it's scary looking. Got to go. Let's do it. Only black thing in the entire universe is this evil, yeah. hateful eye monster thing. <laughs> it's the only you're right. The game is very, very candy colored and like color is very, very important to the game for reasons I'll talk about in a second. But then there's the red-eyed <laughs> black. <laughs> it's also the, one of the few things that doesn't have defined borders. Like all of the characters, including most of the mini-bosses, are like very solid designed things that have, I don't even know exactly how to describe it, but have um, like very firm outlines. They're very solid shapes. But then there's this thing which sort of has fuzzy edges and sort of leaves a trail of eerie black mist behind it as it moves around. Yeah, it, it sort of looks like... Um... It's like if you could color a sparkler black, like it's it, yeah. that it's it's that kind of like the edges are just like fu- it's like static. It's just mm-hmm. like fuzzy, freaking out all the time with like a giant red eyeball in the middle. Nothing else has that sort of outline. It moves in a different way than everything else, and it's colored differently than everything else. And even though there are lots of enemies that use the same basic shapes and palette as the good guys, that this is indisputably visually the bad guy yes it is as othered as it is possible to other a thing in a video game well and literally to kirby specifically kirby Mm -hmm. friendly light colors with a clear round edge and whatever the hell that thing is jim we're gonna say his name is jim uh, oh, the bad, the bad guy. I so in my mind, I referred to it as the hunger, the which is a uh, <laughs> the adventure zone reference. I don't know if anybody out there listens to the adventure zone, and without giving anything away, the plot shockingly similar. Okay, <laughs> so that was just how I thought of it. So, okay, I like that. That's slightly more uh, terrifying than Jim. So, um, Jim T. Hunger uh, has a solid black color, right? And and it's not like shades of black or like you can see you know the the rough shape it's he's he's completely black if you were rendering this on an oled screen those pixels would be off right black 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 so 
Yeah, he's he is as opposite of Kirby as like I mean he's he's the he's the Wario to to Kirby's Mario. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I think that wins for the comparison of the episode. I mean, we're only, I don't know, half an hour in, but still, I'm pretty sure that's <laughs> that sold it. Life goals. So you said you uh, specifically wanted to address some of the colors, so hit me. Yeah, yeah. So color, I mean, like like I said before, the game is very candy-colored. Everything is very saturated. It's very bright. Um, but I, I noticed this time around in a way that I kind of – subconsciously did as a kid but didn't really consciously pay attention to that one of the big parts of Kirby games in general and Kirby 64 in particular is about sucking up enemies swallowing them and stealing their essence to use in your quest for good so you (laughs) will like go find a bad guy eat them and you'll sort of take on some sort of elemental power and each of those powers has a color associated with it. So bombs are black, the boomerang power is green, earth is, you know, brown, brown yeah. and so on and so forth. Um, and then when you're out in the world exploring and trying to find hidden shards and stuff, the way that you find them is by sometimes you need to have certain combinations of powers in order to get to something. And it, it will just be those colors. So if there's... Uh, there's one level where there's a cage that appears that has a shard in it and it has green and yellow bars and you would then know well green is associated with boomerang and yellow is associated with electricity so I have to clearly get the green slash electric power in order to break into that cage yeah so um I'm gonna be real honest with you Aaron uh I was 75% of the way through the game before I discovered that you could have two copy abilities. <gasps> no, wait, really. Wait, wait, wait. So so I'm <laughs> I'm literally I'm going through the game and I encounter some of these crystal shards that are like on the other side of a stupid checkerbox wall or whatever. Uh-huh. And I was like, okay, I've my game's literacy is good enough that obviously there is a way for me to get to this. They're not taunting me with an unobtainable prize, <laughs> but I don't know what it is. And I, frankly, I'm just going to like plow ahead. Cause I, I want to see as much of the game experience and I did end up beating it, but I'm like, I want to see as much of the game experience as I can. No time mm-hmm. to screw with this right now. Soldier on. So I, uh, I'm going and there's, uh, the rock power, like just the mm-hmm. basic single rock power is like yeah. fairly rigged, And that enemy is fairly ubiquitous, so you can get Mm -hmm. it a lot, right? And so I died, and I lost it, and I was like, okay, next uh, rock guy I come across, I'm going to make sure to get that power. And I had something else. I think it was fire. And then I was like, oh, I'm going to get rid of this. And I meant to throw it straight up, but I hurled it at the rock guy, and it hit him, and then it was the two-color star, and I was like, (gasps) Because oh my god! The, well, because that's the thing, though, is even though it took me way too long to figure this out on my own, because I skipped the copy tutorial to beginning because I'm an asshole. But <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm a big grown up who plays video games for fun. I know how to. I've got games literacy. I don't have to pay attention to tutorials. Okay, yes, me. yes. So here's the thing: in the earlier Kirby <laughs> games, which I played, which you've never even heard of because you're like 12 or whatever, they. <laughs> They didn't have this sort of like combo thing. Like that was not a thing in the the original Kirby games. Maybe it came in later before this one, but not in the originals, right? So it did not even occur to me 
And then I was looking at the, in the corner, like where your power is, it's like the stone tablets that would have the 10 commandments for some reason, like it's those <laughs> shapes. And when you get a copy power, it's on one of them. And, uh-huh. and I was just like that there's, there's no way that that blank space is sitting there for no reason, but I don't have time for that. So, so <laughs> I'm just going to plow on until not knowing the answer to this question is problematic. So I eventually accidentally get this power, but this, this is, I tell you all of this to tell you this, the colors on that combined power are brown mm-hmm. and red, and they were exactly the brown and red, not similar exactly the brown and red of a checker wall that I had passed like three screens ago. And I was like, ah, 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 I get it. Right. And that's good. That's a really good thing that even with all the games literacy I have, which we'll talk about later, a lot of which counted as baggage on this playthrough, not an advantage. Uh, (laughs) Even with all of that games literacy, I still didn't just automatically put that together on my own, but the game communicated it in a way that would have been almost impossible to miss. So I was Mm -hmm. like, yes, yes, clear, obvious colors. Even though that checker wall being in the middle of there made no sense, why would they have built a wall like that in the middle of that room just to telegraph to the player that that wall can be destroyed by using this power, right? Because it doesn't need to make sense. It's Kirby. Like, just give me the clear colors that communicate how I do this thing because I'm a kid and I'm playing this game and I I don't need to, I don't want to go to my sibling or Nintendo power. Like, that was really really well telegraphed even for someone who skipped the tutorial still put it together well and that's the thing yeah this is back in the day when the internet was around but was certainly nowhere near as fast (laughs) slash well stocked slash ubiquitous as it is today so it was very much you had to figure it out yourself or through word of mouth or yeah by going and getting a nintendo power or some sort of walk like physical book copy walkthrough or something similar so it had to be easy enough for kids to figure it out and i remember us as kids figuring that out specifically with um I don't remember what world it is. I want to say it's Rockstar. There's a giant like dinosaur skeleton and you have to break through one of the vertebra to get to a shard. Mm -hmm. And it took us a long time trying to figure out what it was. And then we realized, oh my God, it's brown. It must be double rock. And then that is the thing that breaks it open. Yeah, because you get huge and you're super heavy. Exactly. But I initially, well, playing through it this time and I'm paying more attention to, you know, the elements of the game. So I'm writing down, okay, what are actually all of the powers that you can get? And I'm like, okay, you know, you can get like fire and earth and, oh, it's going to be like a four elements thing, except that there's no water. (laughs) There's ice. (laughs) And there's ice. But I think that's why. I think they were so determined to stick to those simple easy to follow colors that they're like we already have a blue it's snow we're not going to give that up for water powers so water is just out anything that could be blue is out there's no air there's no water that's done everything is very distinctly colored and like that's it that's the only power that could have that color yeah you you could you could do all of the power stars the little well you know what i mean the little star you see like when you you abandon mm-hmm. a power and the 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 complement wall with like an eight pack of Crayola crayons. There's no exactly. like oh light blue is air, blue is water, and then dark blue is ice. Like they didn't do any of that because, I mean, why? <laughs> 
No, and that's I think it all goes back to with visuals, they do a really good job of communicating information to you in ways that are very simple and surprisingly subtle, but at the same time, easy to grasp. So the colors, you know, they all coordinate. It makes it a lot more straightforward to figure out what you're supposed to do with different powers and how you're supposed to go at things. Um, They do similar things with like shadows and putting things off screen, either above or below or to the side, but you can see that there's something there because, you know, it'll cast a shadow or you can see something moving. Um, And so since the game is about kind of uncovering hidden like it's a platformer but the fun of it is uncovering all of the hidden secrets you are then encouraged to explore and look for things up down to the side whatever because they do a good job of giving you small visual clues like that that make you go hmm well, what happens if i combine this power and this power what happens well, like that looks like a shadow what happens if i just fly straight up for 10 minutes like and then there, there you go. Yeah, and and this seems like as good a time as any to to mention something I, I wanted to make sure we got to at some point, which is uh, modern Kirby games have been largely panned for being just unbelievably babyish. Like they just hand you the victory, apparently. And and I've played one of the semi modern ones, but not like the last two or three entries. And and the originals are easy platformers, but they're not baby games right they're just they're just simple platformers and when i i went into this i am remiss to admit that i was like oh well this is the inflection point right when they moved to the n64 this will be is all downhill from here is gonna be a dumb baby game for babies and then when i realized the double copy and that you could now combine all kinds of crazy things and that that was how you found all of these other secrets and like I had that moment where I was just like, Oh, Oh, I'm the ass. I, the game, (laughs) this isn't a dumb baby game for babies. I'm an asshole. Like this game showed up and it was its pure and honest, good pink puff ball self. And I came in with all these preconceived notions. And so the last, like, I don't know, third or quarter of the game, I was way more engaged because now every time I saw an enemy, I was like, ooh, do I abandon the power I have and see what crazy nonsense will happen if I combine these powers? Because I hadn't been doing that for the game leading up to it. So suddenly this, like, basically I want to mix colors, right? It's like I have paint. I want to put them together and see what crazy Mm -hmm. thing comes out on the other side. And it, it was like almost really made me want to like go back and play the earlier levels. And I was like, what, what stuff did I miss? Because I was acting like I was too cool for school. So that totally kills one of the questions I was going to ask later on in mechanics, which I started. So I was sitting down and writing out this combined with this equals this, just so I could remember for this conversation and was just having a blast mixing and matching, which was something (laughs) that I played for as a kid. And I definitely, had uh, ones that I remembered and couldn't remember how to get them and spent a not insubstantial amount of time like <laughs> mixing different enemies to find the thing that I knew I was going to have. So I was going to ask you, what was your favorite combination? But if that's not a fair question because you didn't get enough time to play with it, that's completely okay. So I'll, I'll tell you some of the combinations that I got that were like standout, but I, I got nowhere near a complete set. Um, mm-hmm. so I, I enjoyed the rock power because it, it just lets you sort of plow through like a frustrating platforming area that has like a lot of enemies in it. Um, yep. it's also good against almost all of the bosses, but there are a few where they were like, no, we're not going to let you do that in here. Um, 
but then when you get the double rock power, you're huge. And it's, it's just, I like the, the literalness of just like, yeah, it's, you know, rock Kirby, but more. Right? So, so like, double rocks makes big rock. Yeah. Um, on the flip side of that, I was really disappointed by rock and fire, like the volcano cannon. Oh, yeah. Because I was like, when I first got it, I was like, oh, neat. And then I actually tried to deploy it. And I was like, less neat. Um, Mm -hmm. Double electricity is also fantastic because it's just like half the screen is being simultaneously electrocuted, which is, you know, a convenience feature. Um, Also, uh, double um, snowman, I guess, or double ice. You do Mm. the big avalanche ball. Mm-hmm. And that's cute because when you're done with the avalanche, all the enemies you've rolled up actually fly out and pop simultaneously. <laughs> it's very satisfying. Yeah, there's true. and there's like a lot of visual goodness. Uh, rock and ice also gives you turn into like a curling. Yeah, the curling stone, yeah, which curling I stone. didn't. I'm going to admit, I didn't know what that was until this playthrough. As a oh, kid, sure. it was like, what the hell is this? Go- like, What is this stupid thing? Uh, <laughs> useless. And now as an adult, I'm like, oh, my God, it's curling. It was curling the whole time. Yeah. Yeah, that, that one's – it's cute and also, like, relatively powerful because you smash through stuff, but you also freeze anything you touch. Um, I think double electricity was probably the most actively useful uh, the one that I enjoyed using the most of the ones that I got was the electricity and rock, which makes oh. an electricity <laughs> mace out of stone that just uh-huh. flies around the screen and just murders anything it touches or that the electric chain that connects you to the stone touches. And it, it just feels kind of aggressive and reckless, right? So that that was like, and that was one of the first double powers that I got because I like just realized how it worked. And then I was like, oh, I want stone. Ooh, electricity. What will that do? And it was because I was imagining, oh, I'll be a rock, but electrified. And the game was like, nah, we thought of no. something way sillier. So just to keep this within the realm of visuals, and not mechanics, they <laughs> do some, I believe the phrase you like to use is banana pants. <laughs> things with some of these combos, like things. So like the double um, spike. Where number one spike is Kirby just has spikes. And then number two spike is you're a Swiss army knife. Yes. There's but little that pliers and a, tweezers. But also like a bee stinger <laughs> and a cactus. <laughs> and it's just like, who made this? What is happening? <laughs> um, but the number with my number one combination, the ultimate, my personal favorite that I spent half the game trying to get because I love it so much. And then, so I played the first half of the game, you know, mixing and matching and taking my time. And then, as time was running out because, you know, I, a lot of my day is <laughs> spent working and doing things like that. And then Whatever. I have to play video games. Um, I was like, okay, I have to speed run the back half of the game. I need to get my ultimate that I always played with as a kid, the exploding ninja stars. Did you get to the exploding ninja stars? Oh my, I got them one beautiful time. And I was just like, not only is this rigged mechanically, But it's even rigged in a satisfying visual way because when you throw the star, there's no traveling animation. It just instantly sticks into something and then explodes after a second. And the reason I think they chose to do that is because I bet the collision box on those ninja stars is huge (laughs) (laughs) because they just really didn't want kids to be, you know, because I mean, this game is aimed at younger children right 
and, mm-hmm. and I don't believe that they wanted children to be like struggling to aim that tool. So you just go like, hey, and it just connects instantly and then boom. And it's just, oh my God, it's just, it looks cool. Nothing else in the game looks like that. It feels so good. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the thing with the powers that I found so enjoyable is visually all of them are really interesting. And it is super fun to mix and match and combine and see what comes out. Some of them, like you said, are objectively more powerful than others. And the second you figure out which ones those are, those are the only ones you want to play the game with. Yeah. Well, and and speaking of the hitbox, um, I noticed that the powers where you don't have like an area of effect. So like the, the stone Kirby, mm-hmm. right? When you come out of being stone Kirby there is an invisible area of effect where anything within a surprisingly large radius also dies. So like when you untransform, I guess, because you, you know, you might have to jump or whatever you, uh, you murder anything that's close enough that in a few frames, it might've come into contact with you. And I real that was one of those things that made me lean toward like, Oh, this game is intentionally being, child friendly or like low games literacy friendly because the hitbox on Kirby feels like it's pretty tight to Kirby. Kirby's ability to influence the world around him is tremendous. It's it's tremendously outsized in a way that almost always favors Kirby's victory, right? And and so that's that's one of those things where it's like the coyote physics or the, you know, the 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 little good fairy on your shoulder that kind of like makes sure things go your way. Like that's just built into the game engine. That's how the the world is designed for Kirby's joy, right? <laughs> like as it should be. But but that's something that I noticed uh with a lot of the powers is they're all fairly powerful and then some of them are unbelievably overpowered, which makes the ones that suck like shockingly bad, like the, the boomerang, like when you, the, you get from the Just straight normal boomerang. Yes, or? it sucks. It's the suckiest sucks and suck came to suck town. So I will say, I think my least, the, the least useful of all of them. Um, the worst, what I believe is objectively the worst power is electricity plus fire. Did you ever get that one? I do not remember that combo. Kirby takes, uh, a cloth rubs his head to build a static electricity and then bursts into flames and it runs out at really random points so you think you're invulnerable and then suddenly you're not and it takes a while to warm up and it's just terrible i I agree that that is objectively the worst combo power i saw and probably the worst power period the thing that i hate about the the boomerang one is first off you disgustingly throw a chunk of your body to be the boomerang which is gross because you're not wearing <laughs> the night helmet to throw the top part of the night helmet, right? Um, the, mm-hmm. the little plume. Um, but when you're like that, you move differently. And mm-hmm. the fact that it impacts your platforming in a non-obvious way killed me a couple times. And I was just like, nope, okay, forget this. And like that, that, and, and that's, since that's a single power, you're more likely to have that at any given moment because it doesn't require a combo. So that that's like I'd say that's the worst single power, and then the electricity fire one is is definitely the worst combo power that I came across. 
That is a completely fair addition. I totally agree. Um, I am a little mad that it took you so long to discover that they were two because one of my visual points that I was going to make is about how great the heads up display is in Kirby and how simple it is and how it guides you to learning things like you collect a star and your little star counter goes up and then that goes to the max and suddenly you have an extra life and there's only two spots and one of them is filled when you get a power. There's two of them, so clearly you can get two powers. But you like you kind of ruined that for me, so I feel like I can't talk about that. No, anymore. no, no. I think the game was absolutely right. I think it communicates that information really well. This is on me. Like <laughs> I am normally pretty comfortable saying, like, well, I have excellent games literacy. This is stupid. Therefore, the designers are stupid, or they didn't know any better, or whatever. Like, that's there's hundreds of hours of me saying things exactly like that that you can find in nostalgiagoggles.audio if you haven't heard any of it. So, but <laughs> all right, some some fan out there, make a supercut. Yeah, right. But, <laughs> Please. But this this is no question. This was my fault. Like I had a preconceived notion in my mind about how the copy power worked and how Kirby moves through space. And I was wrong. And I missed a ton of the game, the central design elements of the game because <laughs> I was like, Oh, pff, I, I know how to do this. Uh, well, just so long as you're willing to admit it. Cause uh, yeah, that was, I like have to cross that whole section off <laughs> of my notes now. So thank you for that. <laughs> it just saved us half an hour. Let me ask you though about the HUD. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, because I, I do have this one question that this isn't like a good or bad thing. I was just surprised that they chose to do this when you are fighting a boss and there's a lot of bosses in this game because there's a ton, mm -hmm. there's a ton of mini bosses. Every star has a boss at the end, right? The, the big mm -hmm. the big bad. Um, why is your star meter also? Why does it do double duty as the boss's health meter? So the only thing I can think of with that is it keeps the screen really clean. Like the only things that change in your heads up display are in that little bar on the bottom and everything else is devoted to seeing what's going on, which is useful because especially with some of the boss battles, there can be a lot going on on the screen. Um, and it's not like you're collecting stars during a boss battle. It's true. It's definitely not where I would look for it as an experienced gamer. Like <laughs> you look for the boss hit points at the top of the screen or like above the boss themselves. So it definitely was something that now, like going back and playing it again, there was a moment of like, oh yeah, 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 that's right. That's where this goes. But I, I think it's all in service of keeping that, that HUD very, very simple. I, I think you're probably right. Um, also, you know, we got to remember, I don't know how big your television is, but I'll bet it's bigger than the one you played this on originally. Right. So even if they wanted to dedicate screen real estate to it, it would have, it would have proportionally seemed larger because it's, you're playing on like a 12 inch television or, you know, an 18 inch television or whatever. Um, so the, I, I agree with you that they, they try and keep it clean and in their defense, uh, First off, it changes color, right? And it doesn't just suddenly switch from being the star counter to the boss counter. It builds up from left to right. Like it fills and it makes a noise. It goes like, it, it does like a Mega Man, you know, boss mm -hmm. bar filling thing, right? So like it, it draws your attention visually and auditorially to it and, uh, I don't have any other notes for visuals. So if you want this to be our transition to audio, it's like a pretty good one. But if you have other stuff for visuals, I will let you crap all over my transition. In in favor of maintaining your transition, <laughs> I will shelf 
the few other things that I wanted to say with visuals. Since I was the one who brought mechanics into it and ruined your nice smooth. I know you guys never stray from the categories. No, no. And uh, I, I definitely did that. So we can move it to audio. Yeah, I did it. <laughs> I'm the world's greatest detective. <laughs> <laughs> um, so like every Kirby game, uh, this game has like super fun music, right? Um, it definitely does. It, yeah. It's just, it's like, it's like chipper and upbeat and I love it. And like, there's, because this was my first playthrough of this game, I don't have like the melodies committed to memory other than the boss music, which is the same for every mini boss and every major boss, mm -hmm. um, except the very last boss, I think. Um, but it's not, uh, it's not music that I would be surprised if it did get burned into my memory, like super Mario or Mega Man style, because it's just like, it's just the right amount of repetitive. It's very upbeat. It's very toe tappy. It's, I mean, it's, it's eighties cartoon kid music, right? It's, it's meant to be like that and they succeed in spades. It's awesome. Um, so I completely agree. And having played this as a kid, specifically the, um, the first song you hear on Kirby's world, the, the pop star, pop star, that song in particular is emblazoned in my memory. And I think <laughs> even if I hadn't played this recently, if someone had been like that Kirby music from Kirby 64, go, that's the one I would be able to hum. <laughs> um, the one note I have to add to that, they are all they, like, for the most part, the music is very cutesy. It's very cartoony. It's very fun. I feel like though, somebody was like, okay, we have this super cute, cartoon style game i want you to sit down and compose this the composer sat down and gave them the you know it's like all right here you go here's some really nice themes and they went these are great but they're not intense enough they're not they're not video game enough this is like too cartoony so they just took the speed dial and just cranked it up a couple of notches because all of the music felt a little high pitched and a little fast like you jump in, it's like, oh, like, you know, oh, this is cute. And I feel like I need to be running and there's a place that I have to be. And oh, God, have I left my keys somewhere? Like it was a little bit like if you took anxiety <laughs> and turned it into a cartoon theme song, like <laughs> that's the music in Kirby. A little tiny bit, just a little bit. Yeah. And I I think that your assessment is not incorrect. I think part of what is happening is that someone said to that composer, uh, this is how we need people who may be young children or have a low games literacy. We need them to feel like a sense of urgency, not panic, not dread. <laughs> we need them to feel like a, a sense of urgency and, you know, they need to take action in the world. So take whatever you were doing, add several beats per minute and, you know, make it a little bit more like heart pumping, right? Which is a fine line to walk. Like we don't want people to have anxiety attacks. We, we don't. <laughs> Playing Kirby 64. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We don't want people to be panicked. We don't want them to be afraid. We want them to feel like ready for action, right? Like the, the kind of music you might put on if you were going to like go for a run. You're like, okay, I need something like upbeat and like bubblegum poppy. Like here I go. To the point where not only do I think your assessment is correct, but I can give you an independent third-party uh, verification because, Ooh. yeah, I, w I was trying to beat the game uh, before we recorded and Susan came into the room and was like, wow, that music's like really, it's like really jamming. <laughs> like, 
<laughs> they really want you on the move. And I was like, yes, yes. Yeah. I think that is exactly the emotion they're trying to communicate. Like get moving Kirby. <laughs> Well, and the reason I noticed it was um, you've got music on every screen that you're on. So you have music when you're selecting which star you want to play on, um, when you're within the star and you're sort of on the map screen, you have music that plays there and you have music in the cutscenes. And the music on everything that is not you actually playing the game is the same music. Like it's the same kinds of instruments and the same kind of tones. And it, I mean, it, it totally fits. But it's usually a little bit slower, a little more laid back. And then you select it and Kirby gets all excited and says, <laughs> you know, yay, let's go in Kirby, which I think is Japanese. Japanese. <laughs> <laughs> that. Um, and, and then suddenly the music just, it's like, oh, this was super fun. But it's party time. And suddenly he switched over to his uh, kick some ass Spotify playlist. And it's like, this is still Kirby's music. But oh, people are about to get hurt right now. That's what's up. Yeah. Yeah. It really does feel like they kept all the faster music when the player has control and the calmer music, it, it really feels like a, a subconscious cue, right? Anytime you have autonomy, the music is a little bit more fast paced, a little bit more amped up. And anytime you are just watching and consuming, it can be a little bit slower and a little bit more like, oh, okay, we're just telling you the story right now. Everything's kind of fine. And, mm -hmm. and that subconsciously tells you if you feel anxious, like, yeah, it's because Kirby's only going to survive this. If you navigate him through, right? <laughs> like you have control right now. Don't let him die. You monster. Right. It's, <laughs> it's, it's a, it's a clever way to communicate that. Like, I, I wonder if there's even like, if you could identify a beats per minute, Right. Like if it's over X beats mm. per minute, the player always has control. And if it's under X beats per minute, the player does not ever have control. I'm not going to play it for that. But if I do play it again in the next couple of weeks, <laughs> you bet your ass I'm going to be counting beats per minute. And what a great way to spend my video game time than to sit, put the controller down and go, okay, here we go. And start counting out the beats. Yep, make your hobbies work. Um, <laughs> thanks thank you for ruining yet another part of my life i'm so glad thank you for inviting me here making me a part of this yeah. as always you're much welcome. appreciated you're very welcome um how's pokemon snap going um <laughs> shut your poor mouth <laughs> so uh the music i i've no nothing bad to say about the music the sound effects i like but something about the popping noise that enemies make when you destroy them is jarring to me because it feels like a really unspectacular way to mark death. Well, okay. So I also agree with that. There is a sort of anticlimactic sense of when enemies die. And I wonder if it's just because it's like you kill so many enemies so in this game. So much killing. So many enemies. And it's very, like, cold and calculated when it comes down to, like, powers. Like, there were enemies I never sucked up because I knew they didn't have powers. So screw them. They were just going to die another way. Um, but, like, if I saw, it, you know, if I had Bomb and I saw 
the boomerang and I knew I could get my exploding ninja stars from that, like done. I will, you know, whatever it takes. Like if I had another power in me and I saw I could get that, like I would yeet it off the screen into oblivion (laughs) in an instant. So like enemies deaths are kind of meaningless to a certain extent. And I think if it was a more drawn out or intense thing, it would be a little overwhelming for kids. Like oh, definitely. you're killing, you're killing enemies constantly. It needs to just be a, like, you need to know they're dead, but don't dwell on it. Cause there's 16 other things moving on the screen right now. And you're laser focused on three of them because you saw back there that there was an orange and brown striped wall. So I bet you can get behind it and you need the spike monster that's over there and the, the rock monster over there. Yeah, no, I, I think this is another piece, strong piece of evidence that, this game isn't just aimed at people with a lower games literacy. It is also aimed at a younger audience because those things often go hand in hand. And if you are trying to get people addicted to video games, a young age is the time to do it, right? So you make something that's approachable for children. You don't want to make it, you know, all Grand Theft Auto style, like <laughs> screaming and blood everywhere. And and that's fine. I'm I'm not saying I'm I'm with you that I don't need a dark gritty reboot of Kirby, right? So I'm I'm not complaining that it's not more visceral. It's just the popping noise in particular feels almost more violent. Like since <laughs> since I know what like I have some understanding of what death is and what it means to like defeat an enemy in a video game, the fact that they pop like balloons makes th- Kirby seem completely indifferent to their demise like that's not what it actually sounds like that's just how Kirby hears it because he's a psychopath oh god it's like um you know the game Team Fortress 2 Uh did you watch all the shorts that they released like about the backstory of each character where it's like you get to learn about the spy learn about the scout yes but way back when I don't recall them well so my siblings and I were like, we loved those videos. We would watch them over and over again. We thought they were hysterical. And the last one that they made was about the pyro. And there was all this speculation online of what's the pyro going to be? What's it going to be? And the way that they did that is the pyro is like this terrifying character because, you know, you use fire and you're just mowing people down. So the video they made cut between what the pyro saw versus what was actually happening in the game. And what was actually happening in the game is like, horrifying mass murder combined with arson he's like burning down buildings filled with people and then when it would cut to the pyro's perspective he's like handing lollipops to little children versions of all of the characters and is literally skipping through fields of daisies (laughs) so now i'm just imagining we don't need a gritty reboot of kirby because we're already in it it's just that we're seeing kirby's like weird rose-colored glasses version of the world like as he's mowing down all of these enemies he's just like oh they just popped out of existence no worries and then they were gone right and then they were gone forever yeah and 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 it's i i know it's it's a stereotype or a trope or whatever the right term for it is to say like oh this thing that is childish is actually this dark thing and i'm not Mm. i'm i'm doing that a little bit i'm not trying to give too much evidence to that or too much weight to that rather, but it's the, the popping in because there's lots of the, the electricity sound is like crackly, but not annoying, right? It it sounds like eighties cartoon electricity. It doesn't really sound like what you would think of as like a, a modern 
console being able to do right the fire sounds very much like whoosh right like it's a very cartoony mm-hmm. kind of fire noise right like the the rock is like a very you know childish 80s cartoon kind of and i'm not complaining about any of these things they're all very much on brand and the popping is very much on brand it just it just hit me weird like every time especially some of the the platforming areas have a lot of the little um it looks like a gnat. It's like a pink ball with like little wings. Yeah. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. yeah. And and so to navigate those uh platforming areas, they really want you to do it based on timing. And if you screw the timing up, now you have to take a lot of lives because now they're all in like your jump arc and so you have mm-hmm. to like kill them, like all of them, right? Because what are you going to what are you going to do? You're going to pause and wait to get the timing right? No, you're going to use your <laughs> your shock power and just brutally murder them as you jump. And so you hear that pop so much in some sections and there's lives just blinking out of existence to this unceremonious like paper bag popping noise. Well, it's like when you get the, uh, I don't even know what it's called, the lollipop that makes you invincible. Yeah, it's the uh, the Kirby version of the Superstar. The, the Kirby version of Mario Superstar. And you're just like, you're just running full speed with that really intense like lollipop music playing in the background and you just hear pop 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 pop, pop, pop <laughs> as you're just running down the riverfront like get out of the way guys i got places to be yeah yeah like i said i'm not trying to make it dark and gritty but like i don't know i i guess any alternative death noise always is like subject to this kind of why does it sound like that right like when you jump on a, a koopa in uh like the original super mario brothers or when you squish a Goomba, right? They they make these like kind of weird little Foley artist musical note noises. Like it's it's not a squishing noise. It's not a, a splat noise. It's it's like a bloop, right? And it, it's very like kid friendly and approachable. And like, no, you didn't just take a life. Everything's fine. Right? <laughs> and this this is like that, but turned up to eleven. Where like they explode in sparkles and it makes like a paper bag popping noise. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, and I once again was going to bring this up in mechanics, <laughs> if you double back at any point, the enemies respawn. So for all you know, you didn't really kill them. You just sort of like knocked them down. You know what I mean? Just like knocked them down for a second. Like he's just sleeping. He's all tuckered out. Like, don't worry about it. Just keep going. Yeah, that it, which is actually uh, one of my... This could be a perfectly fine transition into mechanics you just set up there uh, because this is one of my great hates of older video games in general is the uh, when you walk off screen, the world magically resets like it's the friggin' Truman show. Like Mm -hmm. and in some games you have to go like half a screen away and then that full half screen back. Right. It's not a single pixel resets the world. And and I can usually tolerate that even in a game where you have to do a fair amount of doubling back. But in like Ninja Gaiden, right? Like Ninja Gaiden was famous for this. Castlevania was famous for this. Like if a single pixel of of level scroll happened and then you took you walked back that single pixel, the enemies respawned. And in Ninja Gaiden, sometimes they would kill you in the middle of your jump. Right? And and that kind of thing, like that that mechanic frustrates me and it's surprising that they would use a mechanic that adds additional enemies to the world 
in a game that's supposed to be targeted at people with a lower games literacy, but because they do it where there's a fair amount of wiggle room before the enemies respawn, it's not just instant the second the camera pans over. It makes it a little bit more tolerable, but it's it's not my favorite. I don't love that mechanic. So I completely agree, and I literally wrote in my notes, this is the only t- – this is, I think, the only game and the only time I really agree with this choice. But I do think they made it specifically because the big fun of this game is the mechanics of getting different powers and combining them. So if you are walking ahead and you're like, oh, shoot, I actually needed a bomb – there was a bomb guy back there, rather than having to restart the whole level, you can literally just turn around and walk back a couple of feet and pick it up again. And I, I honestly think that's why they did it. Um, I I mean, it, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there's, you know, in-game reasons for it or, you know, like software reasons for it. But that I used a lot and I paid attention to it. Everything responds except for those penguins that run away, like the yeah. anxious penguins or whatever that run away from you but everything else responds and it was actually helpful it is a little irritating when you need to double back but if i really needed to get fire and there was a fire guy like two rows back it was nice to be able to do that and not have to hard reset and lose five minutes of gameplay you know i i think you're right that it's it's left in because it benefits the fact that you need to interact with enemies to then interact with the larger world but i think the reason it was there at all was an artifact of that's just how the game engines used to work because in the original Kirby, the copy power was not a thing that didn't come in until later. Like we think of that as a core part of how Kirby functions, but that was not in his mm-hmm. first two games. Definitely not the very first one. I think the first two at all. So right. Yeah. It's like, it's like if I told you he wasn't always pink, right? Which he wasn't. He used to be gray. Um, uh-huh. No, I mean seriously, like on the actual. No, box I know, yeah. I know, but that was back before the. That was back before we had color televisions and. He's gray on the box. They drew him gray. Yes, did I just blow your mind? I don't like that you just said that. <laughs> I don't like thinking of Kirby as not bright pink like cotton ball. Kirby. Yeah. I don't like oh, I don't like undersaturated I mean, Zack Snyder Kirby. I'm not gonna, Get out of here. I'm not going to look into this because if I'm wrong, I'm just going to live in my ignorance, but I'm pretty sure he was originally gray at least briefly before they were like, "No, wait, he's supposed to be pink totally." Right? And then they just retconned pink into existence, which is fine. I agree with that choice. But but I think the fact that going back to get copy powers benefits that core game mechanic is a happy coincidence with that's just how game engines used to work. I mean, probably. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm still mad about the Kirby's gray thing. Like, get, like, get the hell out of here. I don't... Whatever. What's, what's my next... What's my next note? I'm ignoring you now. Uh, <laughs> I, I regularly have this effect on people. <laughs> just like angry at all the little pedantic no- notes that you brought up. That's, that's a normal way you interact with the world. Not intentionally. I just I can't help myself. You just have that effect on people. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, speaking of enemies, we can talk about enemy design because like we said before, there are a lot of enemies. And as in all things with a Kirby game, the enemy design has to show you mechanically what kind of power you're going to get. And some of them it's really obvious, and some of them it's super not obvious at all. Yeah, they it it's uh, 
it's the problem of they get it right so much that when they get it wrong, you're just like, wait, how did you, you did this right 20 other times? How did you screw it up these like three times? It, mm-hmm. It's, I get that they wanted a lot of variety in the, the enemy types, but yeah, the, the times they flub it are, are frustrating. So like, g- give me your, I'm curious, like what, what's the most egregious one to you? Cause I feel like, you know, well, and the one that always gets me is the, um, well, one, the fish, because I always forget that there's no water powers in this game. And I'm always like, time for water powers, because that's a fish. And I suck it up. And it's like, what? <laughs> I, just, oh, okay. I just ended your life for nothing. I got no powers from this. What a waste. I would spit out your corpse if it was an option. But apparently when I kill you, I wipe you from the face of existence. Yeah, so. yeah, once they go into the super black hole that is obviously at the center of a Kirby, then you can't come back out of that. Yep. Yep. But no, um, in particular, some of the boomerang spike mix-ups are a little frustrating. Like the uh, the buzzsaw that goes along the ground. That was one I would always mix up whether or not that was boomerang or spike as a kid because it could easily be either because it is a spike ball traveling through space. So It's true. Yeah. Maybe that one should just take you directly to ninja stars. Yeah. I agree. <laughs> Anything to make it easier for me to get my ninja stars. Like I remembered part of the way through playing that that was my go-to thing and I got really excited about discovering <laughs> what combination made ninja stars again. Um, but what about for you? Was there any bad guy design or bad guy that you interacted with that frustrated you? So those little gnat things, uh, there's a couple of platforming sections where if you don't have the, I screwed up the timing and I just don't want to deal with this power, usually like electricity or something like from that area, mm-hmm. then you're just kind of stuck dealing with them. And and that can be annoying because you don't get anything. There's no benefit to murdering them. They're just in your way. And then the uh, the purple pterodactyl things, because they move just slightly different than basically any other enemy in the game. They they curve just a little bit down or up. Like they track you just a little when they move through space. Mm-hmm. And almost everything else moves in an obnoxiously straight line to the point where uh, when you freeze an enemy, when you have the ice power, if you froze them up in the air, they do not drop. And if you hit them to make them fly to the side, they fly in a perfectly straight line as if gravity oh, yeah. does not exist in the Kirby universe, right? So the the fact that the pterodactyls seem to be more aware of gravity than anything else in the universe. And like it impacts their flight patterns and the way they (laughs) track you as they're trying to kill you just made me consistently get knocked around by them in a way that I was just like, right. So so like, I'll admit like that's my own frustrations coming through, but no other enemy, no other projectile moves in quite the way they move. That is very true. I think they are, them and the um the not kirby's the like <laughs> doppelganger kirby's that look very friendly and approachable until you turn your back on them and then they literally turn into monsters and try to chase you down i think those are the only other things i can think of that track you in that same way hey do you need more evidence that nintendo or that how laboratories wanted to get purchased by nintendo those things that's exactly the mechanical way that booze function in mario games it, they they are literally the yeah. exact 
same as booze. Yeah. No, you're right. I, I could have called them booze, but yeah. I feel like doppelganger is more. Uh, they're uh, they're they're context. they're uh, doppel Kirby's Kirby gangers. Kirby gangers. Do- doppel Kirby's. Doppel Kirby. Yeah. Doppel Kirby. Yeah. Endings. Uh, anything don't... except doppel with ganger doesn't work. No, <laughs> but I, I appreciate that we both tried and came to doppel Kirby. Looked at each other and we're like, eh, maybe we should drop this. <laughs> But yeah, th- those things—they're—they're um, they're a little annoying. But they, their giant smiling face reminds you to immediately deal with them. So, like mm-hmm. the second one of them appears on the screen, you're like, "Yeah, I'm not gonna just walk by you. I'm going to end you." So I appreciate that. That that amount of telegraphing is nice. So it's so it's the purple pterodactyls. They're the ones that get you in the end. They're the, they're the ones I had the most trouble with, especially because. Not every enemy will turn and engage you. Some of them move robotically, just like back and forth or side to side or along some kind of like predefined trail. The the purple pterodactyls, not only do they move through space a little differently, but if you run past them and then stop, they will turn around and like fly up your butt, right? They they continue yep. to track and engage you, which again makes is another way they move basically unlike any other enemy Mm -hmm. it's like the world is very static and they're the only enemies that are aware that there is a black hole inside of kirby and are just slowly getting sucked in (laughs) that's it they because they're (laughs) they are impacted by gravity they're also impacted by the black hole gravity right so it's not Mm -hmm. they don't want to chase kirby they're being drawn toward their demise God, it's like moths to a flame, pterodactyls to a Kirby. <laughs> it's the new expression. It's the new idiom. Kids, get out there, <laughs> make it a meme, make it happen. Yeah, let's uh, <laughs> let's get this on to uh, the Google search card for <laughs> <laughs> like pterodactyls to a Kirby, man. <laughs> oh my lord. Um, so with enemies, one thing I did want to bring up and going back to, there are a lot of bosses in this game. There's a ton of mini bosses. There's a ton of end. Each of the stars has an end boss. Um, each level within the stars has an end boss. Um, and then there's mini bosses sprinkled throughout. I really appreciated that you can usually use pretty much any power to defeat the boss. Uh, there's definitely some that work better than others in certain situations. But I also really appreciated that it gives you enough ammunition that if you go into a mini boss battle unprepared, because some of them literally do just show up out of nowhere, um, they always give you enemies you can at least suck up and throw at it. So there is no boss stage that is unbeatable if you walk into it without a power. And I, I appreciated that. I like that it always gives you a chance. It's harder if you do it that way for the most part, but never insurmountable. Well, and the the final boss of the stars is always its own entire level. So yeah. you don't have an opportunity to get a power on your way to that boss. So if you die... You now have to, all the bosses had to be designed that you could beat it with just your your base Kirby, right? And, mm-hmm. and this is actually something that uh, I was thinking a lot about because I was delighted when I made it to the final boss and I was really frustrated by how hard I struggled with the final boss. Dude, the final boss is next level. Like the whole game, I feel like has a pretty consistent like learning curve. Like it gets harder as you go along, but it's very approachable. You you can understand the rules. You get along with it. The final boss 
is super hard. It even, I remember as a kid at, during one of my playthroughs not being able to beat it and having to put the game away and walk away because I was getting so frustrated. Yeah. And so th- this is this was the way it kind of tracked to me. The platforming, right? Just the normal moving through space in the levels has a very consistent difficulty curve. The platform, sometimes it, you're not just going right to progress. You also have to climb or you have to descend or mm-hmm. you have to like double back and go through holes and go through like a mini sort of maze thing, right? It's, but that all comes slowly as you learn those skills in safe environments and that the universe allows those things to exist. There's a very consistent sort of difficulty curve there, or not even just difficulty, but like complexity curve. The bosses, despite the fact that there are a thousand of them, like there are some step functions that happen where like when I got to the the shark whale thing. Orca. I hate that orca. I hate that orca. Yeah. It killed me an embarrassing number of times. Yes. I got to that boss fight and like after just walking through the first half of the game, like I got to that one and I was just like, whoa, what is happening here? And like... The uh, I think it's bef- the one right before that is like the tower with the crystals, the three colored. You mean the the di- the alien diamonds? Okay, <laughs> is that what they are? Is this? I, is this I, the I, listen, this authority? is me trying to make a Steven Universe reference. Yes, okay, yeah, just just roll okay. with it. So yeah, so when you have to fight the Diamond Authority, they yes, thank you. They That's move in ways that are like very three D wooshy wooshy, but are also. Uh, very likely to get you murdered because Kirby's not that quick on his feet. And mm-hmm. most of the platforming is designed around the fact that Kirby doesn't really move all that fast, which is intentional, right? They don't want this game to be full of requirements to have twitch reflexes. It's not friggin' Snake, right? It's not Galaga. That's not the, the audience <laughs> they're going for. And then you get to this boss where it's like, oh, sometimes it's going to reverse direction while like swooping up and down in like a sine curve and you're not going to notice until it's too late. And then even if you notice in time, Kirby won't respond fast enough to get out of the damage zone and then you get hit, right? And then you go fight the orca and the orca just murders you all over the place, right? And then by the time mm-hmm. you get to the last boss, you just like get murdered like a thousand times, right? It's yep. the, 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 it's the it's almost like those difficulty curves were not taken jointly right the the platforming has this nice smooth difficulty and complexity curve throughout the entire game and the bosses like the first half of the bosses were designed by one team and the second half of the bosses were designed by a different team and they didn't realize that they didn't have a consistent curve between them it's it's shocking and then when you couple that with the reason i'm thinking all of this is your comment about like oh you lose your power but you can always beat them with what's in the room yeah, mm-hmm. that's true. <laughs> but, <laughs> but but if you have certain powers, some of the bosses are like unbelievably easy. So if you right. have a rigged power and you die and lose your power, that is not the kind of feedback loop that a kid-friendly, low-games literacy-friendly game should have. Because now you're coming in massively depowered and expected to overcome this challenge that you just failed at. This is, I mean, this is very true. And this was the issue I kept running into with the Orca level, to be honest, because the only power you can pick up in that fight is the boomerang power, which, as you said, is already kind of like not great. Yeah, it sort of sucks. And when you're swimming in particular, because when you throw your entire face at the uh, the Orca, 
you can't swim anymore no. until the face comes back and there's no way to cut it off. So if you're not careful about where you are on the screen, you will literally just sink below the edge of the screen and instantly die. Yeah, yeah, I died that way more than once. Mm-hmm. Same. Yeah, it's annoying. Eh, I'm glad we're in this together. <laughs> and And the thing is like, overwhelmingly, the game does not make these sorts of design mistakes, which is why when they come up, you're just like, what the hell? And and mm-hmm. and uh, several places in my notes, in the visuals, in the mechanics, not in the audio because that'd be odd, but like several different times in, in visuals and mechanics, I have in my notes some version of the phrase, am I overthinking this? <laughs> <laughs> and it's what made me finally settle on yes yes i am overthinking this is when i was fighting the last boss a couple of the because he like he does the final fantasy thing of changing his element right and like he's only vulnerable to the element that he currently is which is the opposite of the way final fantasy does it but it's the same basic principle right like the 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 deck keeps getting shuffled and i Mm -hmm. i was like trying to do all this complicated like maneuvering and i was like oh if i just stand in the corner 95% of what he does will miss me. Right. And it's because, yeah, that's what a kid would do. They would go and run and hide. They wouldn't be trying to, you know, uh, be like the expert thief dodging the lasers and doing backbends and thing (laughs) and like snaking down on their stomach to, you know, go and get the treasure that's under the security glass at the museum. Like that's not how someone who is a child or with a low games literacy would function. They would just be like, Oh, I'm going to wait over here until he stops doing that. And then I'm <laughs> going to go rush in. And, and so after finally beating the the last boss, I was like, yeah, it is me. I am overthinking this. Like my games literacy has become huge, massive collateral damage baggage because I am trying to outthink a game that frankly does not want to be outthought. So I'm going to admit something here. Okay. Well, I had one of these moments earlier, so I'm glad you're going to share. I know. We're going to all jump in the shame bucket (laughs) together. Um, I have literally never tried that strategy on the final boss as a kid or now. And uh, now I'm a little frustrated that I never did because maybe it would have been a little bit easier to beat. Yeah, It it doesn't always work. But like, so here's an example. The the spike form of the final boss. I was literally thinking of that when you were talking about hiding in the corner. Yeah. So I, I checked uh, that form always shoots spikes the same positions and the same distance. Sometimes mm-hmm. they go clockwise. Sometimes they go counterclockwise, but they always go to the same parts of the screen. And mm. two of the parts they never go to are the bottom left corner and the bottom right corner. So if you just stand in either of those corners, you will never, ever, ever get hit by that ever. Yeah. Yeah. God damn it. Yeah. Also the the rock one, which is really easy to get murdered by because the way Kirby oh, yeah. responds when he gets hit, the mm-hmm. rock thing never goes all the way to the edge. He only goes almost no, all the it, way to it, the edge. It does it does absolutely go all the way to the edge though, because it, I did try that. It only goes all the, the way to one of smooshed. the edges. You're right. Okay. That's fair. That yeah, is so fair. if it touches the left edge, it won't touch the right and vice versa. Um that the is fair. the gray, it's they're supposed to be bombs, but like the gray blob thing. Mm-hmm. Um that can nail you in the corner, but not always. And the things are slow moving enough that if you stand in the corner, you can probably avoid getting hit, right? Like they, the trying to outmaneuver that boss is not the way to fight that boss because that is not Kirby's strong suit. 
you just have to do the survivor method, the like outwit outlast. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and and that was what really, because like I said, it's like four different places in my notes. Like, am I overthinking this? I think I might be overthinking this. And then like my only, the only way I was able to triumph over the final boss was just kind of like thinking like Kirby and just being like, yeah, speed is not my strong suit. I'm a big pink circle. Right? <laughs> yeah, I definitely overthought that. Um, but that's okay. It's fine. fine. I had this whole like final boss theorem about like the difficulty curve on it and all this stuff. And now I just feel silly talking about it because it's like, oh, hide in the corner. Oh, no. I I still think the spike in difficulty is completely unreasonable because not only do you have to understand that you can only hurt it at a certain time, which this is the one and only boss that has a limitation like that, right? Yeah. There's no mm-hmm. other enemy in the game that is sometimes invincible. Uh, so that that's new and has not been communicated to you that you need to understand that skill until right now, which is the wrong way to introduce a final boss. Um, also when you uh, get a power, so like when it shoots fire, you need to hit it with the fireball, but you could also choose to copy the fire power, which is always the wrong thing to do. So, yep. yeah. So the fact that, except for the entire rest of the <gasps> fucking game. Yes, exactly. The fact that the entire game, including all of the secrets are built around not just copying powers, but creatively copying multiple powers. A thing that I had like a revelation about when I finally realized that I was supposed to be doing that. And then to just over that for the entire final boss fight seems really counterproductive, really, really counterintuitive to be like, hey, you know, that thing you just spent four hours mastering. Forget all that. It's a really clever boss idea i do like that you have to come in and you have to yeah it's going to transform into all the different elements in the game and you can only attack it with those elements and it's very it is very difficult it almost feels like somebody was like talking to their spouse or to a friend about the game they were designing was like yeah there's this whole element thing and their friend was like oh well wouldn't it be cool if there was a boss like this and they just sort of put it in the game without thinking about how well it matched up with the rest of the gameplay yeah the, I I would even accept like if you couldn't copy powers during that fight, because like if you copy like the firepower and then it switches to electricity, you are now at a disadvantage because you now have to get that power out of you because when you have a power, you cannot suck in other powers, right? Yeah. Yeah. So so <laughs> so you actually put yourself at a disadvantage by doing the thing you have just been trained for hours to do as your only way of interacting with the world. So if maybe like if you couldn't copy powers, like you could suck things in, but if you swallowed them, like it was as if you just didn't get a power from it, like then it would be like, Oh, Hey, this battle's not about copying powers. I know that that's what you were just doing, but that's not what this is about. But the fact that it lets you copy powers and then essentially punishes you for making that decision. That's where I draw the line. That feels like Mm -hmm. a lost opportunity, particularly in a game that has enemies that don't give you powers. It's not like every single thing you eat gives you powers. Well, and the final straw on that for me was I forgot that that was part of the mechanic of the final boss because it's, I mean, it's, you know, been a decade since I played this game. Uh, So I walked into it with the fireworks power, which is um, bomb and fire. Mm -hmm. 
And I was like, oh, okay, oh, shoot, I forgot. You can only, you know, hurt the enemy with the same element that it is currently occupying. So, you know, fire of text, fire, whatever. So I'm like, okay, that's fine. I have a combination of two different ones. So when it's fire, I'll use fireworks. When it's bomb, I'll use bomb. And the rest of the time I'll, I'll act defensively and just destroy anything that gets near me so I can survive. But I, what I really forgot about is that it transforms into all the different elements. But once you hit it as fire enough, it's like three or four hits, it stops being able to attack you as fire. And that's how you defeat the final boss. You defeat it in one elemental form after another uh. until it's all the way depleted. So even if I had stuck with fire bomb the entire time, ultimately, like you defeat fire and you defeat bomb pretty quickly, and then you're just screwed because you can't hit it otherwise. So this was part of my theorem about why the final boss is so hard. Because let's say you you can get the timing on fire really, really good and you defeat it as fire really quickly. What you're doing is you're self-selecting the hardest versions of the boss. So they come up more and more often. So like for me, for whatever reason, the like snow frost version of it kicked my ass. <laughs> Don't know why. I could never get the timing right. That killed me more than anything else. So as I'm defeating like the rock and, you know, the boomerang and all the easier stuff, that one would pop up more and more. And would just destroy me. So by the end, you're only fighting basically what elements you have left. So even if you go in with the mindset of like, oh, okay, I'll just act defensively. I'll have this one power and I'll just kill it as that power. You can't even do that because it at a certain point you knock it out. That's why um, the character design of the final boss, how it's that white, I don't know, D20, whatever it is yeah, with all the like yeah, it's like a 12-sided die. <laughs> I don't know exactly what's going on there with the red spots on it. As you're defeating all the different elements, the red spots disappear. Mm. These are things that now in my memory, I'm like, I did notice this, but I did not connect these things because the one that the, on the time that I finally beat the boss, um, the one that was left was the bomb gas bubble one. And mm-hmm. and that one just kept like four times in a row because I kept screwing up the timing, right? So I like I wasn't landing hits. So that one just kept coming up. And I was just like, what? Like, why? Like, go to any of the other ones. This is apparently the one I suck at. Like, why are you doing this to me? And it's because that literally was the only one left. And it would have kept doing that forever. Exactly. So if that's – if for whatever reason, like, you just cannot get the timing on the bomb one – you either need to find a sibling or get good. Those are your literally your only options. Yeah. And it, I mean, it, I think without exaggerating, I would say I probably died on that final boss eight to 12 times. And I mean, I'm, I'm decent at video games. And, and unfortunately, like th- this is why, like, you know, I'm, I'm glad Susan listens to these episodes typically because she happened to be in the room, like I said, when I was fighting the final boss, and I was just like, apparently, I just suck at video games. <laughs> like, this is a video game for children, and I cannot freaking beat this boss because apparently, I just suck at video games. And then, like, going, you know, because, you know, sometimes you get down on yourself, it happens. But, like, yeah. But going over my notes and kind of like rethinking the experience, I was like, oh, no, I mean, this isn't the best design ever, but it's not a bad design by any stretch. It's that it's hard on purpose. Like they designed it to be difficult. And also I was way, way, way overthinking every obstacle, every challenge, every boss, every enemy, every platforming segment. I was just like, Oh, well, how can I do this? And usually the answer is hold right and jump. Right. (laughs) Well, and that's the thing with the platforming elements that you were talking about before. If you, 
just walk onto the platform and just walk forward in a straight line at your normal speed and jump at the right points. For the most part, the timing works out perfectly that you could just walk through the platforms. Mm -hmm. Like you don't have to do any fancy like jump, skip, dive, whatever. Like it's not Castlevania that's going to punish you for that. (laughs) If you do it for the most part, unless you have a power that messes up your timing, you're going to be able to just walk through the platforms. So then when you do get to stuff like the final boss where you can't use that strategy anymore, it is a little jarring because you are used to literally walking through parts of it and then suddenly you can't. And like the calculus around the head suddenly forms. It's like, what did I miss? What am I? It it it's in the computer. It's so simple. Like, it there's got to be some easy solution. Why can't I see it? Yeah, turns out it's hide in the corner. Uh, well, now I know that, so, so that's fine. We've all made mistakes here today. Okay. So there, there's a couple of last things I just need to make sure I at least address. Um, feel free to dig in on these if these are important to you. Um, okay. I am frustrated by the fact that there is a live system when you just get thrown back to the load screen and the load screen picks up exactly where you died. So if you were on the third stage of one of the stars and you died, you just pick up right there. It's not like you start at the beginning of the star. If you're at the boss fight, you just start right at the boss fight and all the bosses are single screen bosses, right? You don't... um, have to go through a level to get to the final boss. Like you just went through the level and you, when you get to the boss, the boss is their own thing that you can select. So like, why am I being punished by being thrown back to the load screen with when I have lives? Like the load screen is there so that when I have to go to school, I can load my game when I get home from school. Once I'm sitting down playing the game, I should just have infinity retries. There's no, the live system doesn't reward or punish you in any, any way I was able to detect. So the only reason I think you get kicked back is if you need to go back to another stage and get a combination of powers, basically, because that's such a core element of how you play the game. And because there's like with the Orca, right? I'm like throwing myself at that boss over and over again, getting really frustrated. And then finally I get kicked back to the low screen. And I'm like, you know what? Forget the boss. I'm going back to this other level and I'm going to I'm going to get the ninja stars like this is just how I'm going to deal with the situation. I'm not going to keep throwing myself against the wall. And that facilitates making that choice rather than feeling trapped in. I have to beat this level or I have to beat this boss. It's like, no, no, no. Remember, you've got all of these resources back here because everything (laughs) responds for you. So don't get frustrated solve it creatively yeah i guess instead of giving you a quit level option it forces you to consider because you could load and then just immediately throw yourself at the boss again but because it forces you to go back to the level select screen it's like are you sure that's what you want to do mm-hmm. yeah. yeah okay i i can i can grok with that that's fine <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. i think it could Perfect. be done in a more elegant way but i agree with you that that is that is what they're trying to facilitate. They're like, no, no, maybe maybe back it up a little bit. Yeah, because I, I do think at its core, that is what this game is about. That's like the mechanic that drives the gameplay is that sense of you can get these different powers and you can combine them to creatively solve problems and kill enemies. So yeah. that's like what it's try, always trying to force you to go back and do until you get to the final boss. Anyway. <laughs> so- until if you want to actually beat the game, then forget everything you learned. It's a very Zen Buddha kind of experience. Um, (laughs) So uh, these last two things, uh, one is a thumbs up on a visual and one is a big thumbs down. Um, When you are in between stages and you're at the little picnic and you get to 
it's, yeah. it's a little mini game in between the game. Yeah, or, where you can get lives or health yeah. or whatever. Um, when you miss and you land on nothing or like if you overshoot it, he's so sad. And it's like so. He just starts crying. Yeah, it's and so... it's, it's the big anime tears that are like his whole face. And it's so, you know, the rivers. And oh God, it's just like so cute. Um, I don't like, I am actively angry about the fact that at no point in this game does Kirby dance. If you listen back to the other two Kirby games that we covered on Nostalgia Goggles at the time of this recording, there's only two others. Uh, George and I um, celebrated. We we were elated. It brought great joy into our hearts the way Kirby dances, even in, in Dream Course, right? The friggin' golf game. There's just there's dancing and it's delightful. And we decided at that time that a Kirby game without dancing is not really actually a Kirby game. And so I'm curious. Oh God, I do remember that because that yeah. was where you had the weird like Soviet Russia version of Kirby discussion. Yes. Yeah. So <laughs> oh so is this actually even a Kirby game? And I'm not saying like this feels like a fundamental thing. So we've made a lot of jokes about this. More and more, I'm convinced that Kirby 64 the Crystal Shards is the gritty Kirby reboot. <laughs> That's why this is no this is as far down that <laughs> hole as you can get. This is the Zack Snyder cut of the Kirby world, like that. Oh my god! Yeah. Because he does dance when he gets the like bigger shards, usually like at the end of a level after defeating a major no, boss. It's, but it's like a super small, it's like, a pose. like he he, yeah, he spins and like pumps his little nub, but. <laughs> It's it's not a no one would call that a dance. It it's more like his little victory like yes, I did it. Yeah, and here's the thing, if you want one more piece of evidence cuz there's probably others, but if you want one more piece of evidence that this is the gritty reboot of Kirby, um at the very end of the game cuz you know, the ending cutscene is not very long. You you send the fairy but yeah, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I know exactly you, the moment you're talking you, you about. Send, yes, keep going. You send fake Tinkerbell back to, you know, Crystal wherever she came from. And the queen, it's, it's called Ripple Star. Okay, and the queen, <laughs> and the queen has like her crown is like askew, and her glasses are all askew, and she looks like the very anime stereotype of like the the awkward nerd who could never hurt a fly. Mm-hmm. And then after Kirby and Painter Kid and DDD and Waddle Dee leave, and now it's just the queen and the fairy friend fairy friend is closer to the camera and they're both facing us. So we can see that the queen's eyes go like dark and hateful. Like she has the, and she turns and looks into the camera. Yes. (laughs) It's like a, it's like a split second, like blink. Like I completely forgot that that happened. Like it is a blink and you'll miss it right at the very end of the game. Yeah. And then credits (laughs) and then it, And and it's just like, I assume if you 100% the game, you get a slightly different ending, but... I honestly don't know because, quite frankly, I am not that kind of gamer, and I don't think there is a single time in my life where I have 100% of that game. Yeah. Like, that was always what, the way my brother played it. That was not the way I played yeah, it. I, but yeah, I, I forgot I about assume. that, and it was, like, visceral. Yes. Yeah. Like, if I was a kid, that would not make me want to replay the game to find the remaining crystal shards. That would make me never want to touch this again. Because I'm a grown ass man, and when that happened, I went like, "Oh my god!" 
Oh my god, Kirby 64 is the gritty Kirby reboot nobody asked for. Because there's also so it is a very candy colored game. It's very light, it's very fluffy, the colors are very saturated. We've already talked about this. But there are weird elements of it that are very dark and very out of place. Like the dark, you know, the Tim Tim T Hunger or whatever we called it. Like the bad guy in general. The aesthetic of it's very Jim T. Hunger, I'm sorry, is very like dark and you know weird. Um, the it like weird industrial, like Soviet Union oh, Santa's workshop level yeah. <laughs> is very dark, and like the music's even more intense there. And like really, when you get to the Ripple Star and you have um, you're playing through the section of it where it's like, oh, you can see in the background that it like once was like Kirby's home where it was all green and beautiful, but now it's like overlaid with all this darkness. The music gets really, really creepy. Like there's voices in the background of it, like whispering and like it's it's horrifying. So there's elements of that in there, but then it's like, oh, but don't worry, we've got a cutscene where Kirby trips and falls down. Yay! Yeah. Oh, and fun. don't forget in the factory level, uh, in the background of one of the stairwells, there's a bunch of giant jars with creatures trapped in them. Yeah. Yeah. And they're like not Kirby creatures. It's like a cat and like a hippopotamus. Yeah. Like it's just normal, like creatures. Yeah. Yep. Oh God. Oh God. What have we done? <laughs> I mean, I, I still like I, I still think it overall fits in the Kirby like aesthetic. Like I wouldn't say this game is a complete departure, but it's if if you plotted all of the Kirby games from lightest to darkest, this one certainly is the darkest I know of. I mean, it does, like, the first level is you saving your friends from being possessed by a darkness monster. Yeah. yeah. That is literally, you literally perform exorcisms and beat Satan out of them <laughs> so that they can come with you on your quest to save the galaxy from being consumed by darkness. Yeah. It's heavy for a kid's game. A little bit. A little bit. Yeah. Never thought about that All one. Right. So, uh, hey, uh, person who played this as a kid, how'd, how'd this hold up for you? <laughs> Um, so I I feel that it held up very very well. I give it no uh, the no nostalgia goggles needed in order to enjoy this game. I think that the controls are very simple, straightforward. The game is fun. It is very simple and it is for kids. But because of the complexity of the element system and because there are parts of it that are like genuinely challenging, even for people who play video games on a regular basis, it was enjoyable to go back and replay. Like Pokemon Snap when I went and played that. <laughs> That was that was a pure that was almost a pure nostalgia experience. That was me like walking down memory lane and going, oh, I used to. Yeah, I used to go to that corner store to buy <laughs> ice cream back in the day. But Kirby 64 was a genuine video game experience of rediscovering. Oh, yeah, if I combine this and this, that works. And oh, where was that shard hidden and how do I get to it and actively figuring things out again? So I would say for folks who, you know, want a game that is relatively simple and is like fairly easy to access but is still challenging and interesting and forces you to think and move in creative ways it's it is a good game that stands on its own merits yeah i'm i ended up in the same place as you but my journey was uh full nostalgia goggles right because i was like oh this is a baby game for babies like yeah maybe if you played this as a kid this would be fine but it's a baby game for babies right and then <laughs> and then the more i got into it and i realized like 
how well thought out the mechanics were and how well thought out the mechanics allowed you to interact with the, the game world. I was like, Oh, okay. Maybe, maybe let's bump this down to like a nostalgia monocle. Like this is, this, this is good. Like it, it doesn't hold up the way like a modern game would, but, but overall, like you can really see the, the amount of fit and finish. And then by the time I got to the end and I realized that I was just asking the game, I was asking things of the game that were not reasonable to ask. And that if I just took it at its merits, that it was a perfectly uh, well thought out experience that was still fun and still looked nice and sounded nice and played well. I was like, Oh, that this game doesn't need nostalgia goggles. I'm, I'm wrong. <laughs> like I am, I am placing expectations here that are inappropriate and that are damaging the experience. And so it, at the end of it all, like having never played this, uh, like I thought it was fine. Like I totally enjoyed it. There were parts I found annoying and frustrating, but I mean, video games can be hard, right? Like overall, I would say, um, I, I could comfortably recommend this to someone who had never played it with no nostalgia goggles needed, but, but don't, don't try to make it something it's not just forgive that there's no dancing Kirby and just enjoy the otherwise very Kirby Zack Snyder experience. <laughs> the rated R Kirby experience. The curtain falls. The music plays. The credits roll. Then it all fades to black. And you're left by yourself. The fanfare is gone. There's no player two there by your side to share victories won. But as you slowly progress down the hall to your bed, a few great events leak back into your head from the time that you spent traversing the land. Battling evil, fighting the darkness, just sword in hand. Your memories creeping with the end of a smile. You realize again what you've lost for a while. You're gonna think back much less. 